This week's episode of Mental Platypus is sponsored by I'm Young, Attractive, Sad, and Irish by Sally Rooney. <laughs> Available at bookstores everywhere. <laughs> now coming to you live from the Hooting Wall Studios in beautiful Uptown Phoenix, it's Mel Platypus, starring Jared and Jason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, this is Mental Platypus. <laughs> I'm Jared. I'm Jason. Man, that was so great. Was it? Who'd you get to do that? (laughs) When did you get sponsors? (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, so you can follow us (laughs) at mental underscore platypus on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Email us at mentalplatypusquarterly at gmail.com. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, please, if you'd be so kind. Uh, Jason. Kyle can be found at Jason E. Kyle, K-E-I-L, on Instagram and Twitter. And Jared can be found at LTD underscore engagement on Twitter, though uh, he's not going to engage. <laughs> I am not. I'm not, I'm, not a very, I'm not a very engaging person currently. And if you <laughs> and definitely don't expect him to engage on Instagram, which uh, if you uh, remove the underscore and make it all LTD engagement, there you go. Yes, indeed. That uh, I'm becoming, I seem to become be becoming more hermetic by the day. <clears throat> but anyhow, uh, if you want to support us in some fashion too and get a bonus pod of <laughs> this killer content uh, every month, you could go to patreon.com forward slash hoot and waddle and uh, contribute at least five bucks a month and you get a monthly bonus pod with us. Because contrary to popular belief, we don't have sponsors. This is true. We we are not so much with the sponsors. But if you, I mean, if you'd like to sponsor us, I know we can work something out. Absolutely, we could. Unless <laughs> unless you're a Nazi, then we we want oh, nothing to do with you. This is true. Yeah. No, there are caveats to that. Uh, we're, <laughs> we'll sell out to an extent, as yeah. long as that extent is not racist or fascist. <laughs> yeah. We'll announce or, your kids. We'll announce your kids' birthday on the air. Well, sure. Like, yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Uh all right. You want to dive into this this um this edition of Songbook? Yeah. So I I I'll start this off with um with a with a precursor. Okay. Um until uh, I listened to um You Had Time by Ani DeFranco, which is Half of what we're talking about today. Which, to, to interrupt briefly, for those who are not aware, we are, are uh, we are, what, probably about halfway through? I, no, we're not I, close. We're I about wish a, we were We're about a third. Through. We're actually exactly a third of the way through uh, Songbook by Nick Hornby. Mm-hmm. Or 31 songs, right. as it were. But uh, um, I had only listened to one Ani DeFranco song. And... It wasn't even like something she sang. It was her the cover of Thirty Two Flavors. Oh yeah, yeah. I I've never, yeah, I've never listened to Anya DeFranco before. This was my uh, well, I th- I'm sure I've heard her before, but this was definitely the first time I listened to this song. Oh, but I dug the song Did a you? lot. Yeah, I really dug this song. I, I dug the intro as he so eloquently describes it in the book. The plunking? Yes, the yes. plunking. I, I dug um, how um, the tone and tenor in her voice. I just, um, I really dug the song um, quite a bit. 
Um, and of course, Amy Mann. I mean, yes. Yeah, so it's "You Had Time" by Annie DeFranco, and uh, I believe that's how it's pronounced, right? She goes by Annie. Yeah, not Annie. Because I believe only it's one Annie. N. Uh, and I've I believe had the it. kids call it Annie. The kids from <laughs> the kids from the nineties. Kids from the mid nineties that wore uh, often uh, overalls and docks. I believe so. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Um, and and, and smelled like patchouli and and dreadlocks. Yeah, and dreadlocks. Yes, yeah. exactly. Not to not to stereotype anybody. <laughs> if if <laughs> I mean, if we want to talk stereotypes, the stereotype that Hornby uses in in this essay is awful. Uh, yes, <laughs> as he as he admits it, as if it's some sort of excuse. Um, yes, the um, let's, uh, I'll, I'll I'll say it out loud so we don't have so we do not mention it again, um, and so the listeners know what we're talking about. Um, the uh, uh, if you want to fill in or something, or. sure. Well, because the which we didn't announce the other song, which is "I've Had It" by Amy Mann. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're interested at all, it's it's out there somewhere, I believe. Still, probably uh, an album infinitum where mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I went through the entire discography of Amy Mann and discussed it with various guests. Yes. Uh, Including yourself. Yes, I was there. Bachelor yeah. number two. Not for yeah, exactly. Not for not for this album though, which is it's on whatever, I yep. believe. Uh, which I discussed with um did I discuss I discussed that one with Jenna Duncan, I believe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow. Well, you got it? Sounds like a fascinating conversation. Sure. Yes. Get I out mean, there and listen yeah. to album infinitum. Yeah. So um as he describes the um you had time being the um a breakup song. Um, he says that this generous spiritness is a liberal heterosexual's idea of how nice gay women are to each other, <laughs> even when they, their relationships fail, while straight men are inwardly plying revenge while finding indifference, and straight women are cutting the crotches of expensive trousers. Gay women are hugging and crying and pledging eternal friendship. This is actually offensive nonsense, of course. Unhappily, the only intelligent right on response is to recognize that gays are as violent unpleasant pious judgmental and unreflective as everyone else but you had time it's so sweet tempered that inspires that sort of embarrassing stereotyping uh for him yeah (laughs) not not uh that's not exactly what i was thinking of uh listening to that song uh, but apparently for Nick Hornby, it uh, it inspired offensive stereotyping. Yeah, and not for me. I, I thought it was a sweet song. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, yeah. I, what did you like about it? Let's start with that. About this essay or the song? No, about the song. Um, I I liked that it did have that nice long intro and just it felt very conversational. Yeah, it kind of like eases you into it. I do like the way yeah. he describes how it kind of meanders until it's like mm-hmm. they, it's like she stumbles upon the chord progression, and then mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then it all kind of opens up from there. Mm-hmm. Like once that that discovery is made, that mm-hmm. um, it's 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 interesting the way you know uh, when she has that line about her hands are tired and her voice is tired. I think it might be re- reversing those, but yeah. Um, no, you're. I think you got it. Uh, that. Sorry. It kind of begins like you know somebody sort of who's a little uh, sleepy sitting at the piano and just kind of playing around a little bit, and then suddenly, slowly, suddenly and slowly don't go together, but slowly 
uh, working into uh, like, a song structure. It literally felt she wrote this like after like a breakup, mm-hmm. like after a show. Mm-hmm. She just sat like got a piano mm-hmm. and just was like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna do this." And it's just um, the lyric. I think the lyric. Uh, and he mentioned in the essay too. I, I'm, I'm, you're the China shop. I'm the bull. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Well, what's the other one? The, uh, the other line that accompanies that uh, you're, you're good food and I'm full. Is that, yeah, yeah. you are very good food and I am full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, it, it walks a very fine line between being clever and schlocky. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, here's the thing is that, not, not to bring up the horrible stereotype he uses again, mm-hmm. but I'm going to bring it up one more time. So this could be about any damn couple. Sure. Um, yes. The fact that he, um, which is also why I dug about, like, this is like, like we're done. You know, I, you had time. We're done. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be about your many breakups, my many breakups. Sure. Um, your next door neighbor's many breakups. Yes. Um, the fact that he, uh, I, the fact that he is attaching it to Ani, which I mean, it's his right, and like, why not? Like, and then stereotypes it about, you yes. know, lesbians in general. It's just, I, I like the way she, I mean, it's specifically about her in some ways, because mm-hmm. I mean, not everyone is going to have tired fingers and a, vo- and, and a tired voice. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just, like, the feelings are there, like, for, for everyone. You know, they're everyone's feelings. So, what do you think about the way that I just thought he's being reductive? Yes, uh, as he often is in these essays, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that reductive <laughs> is actually, off, and he passes it off as humor, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or um, cleverness. And that's it, makes me a little, you know, I, I read this a number of years ago, I know I did, and I don't recall feeling quite as, um, I, you know, going through it now, I, 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 you know, as you mentioned, the the word reductive, I think, is good for that. I don't uh, for the, some of these essays that I, I don't recall feeling that way when when I initially read them. But yeah. I mean, that's close to probably fifteen years ago when I first read this, and mm-hmm. um, and then, I mean, right? Because I don't. I'm trying to think of if I read it when it first came out. Um. Yeah, so uh, probably about 15 years ago. And then um, I also don't recall, you know, the the other thing about it is is just how much it seems like he is, not so much in this particular essay, but often approaching his enjoyment of, of, of certain music uh, from a defensive standpoint, which I think is, is off-putting because you shouldn't have to, defend the things that you enjoy you should be spending the time kind of not necessarily even trying to sway somebody to your way of thinking about it but speaking of music passionately in a way that conveys why you like it Mm -hmm. well i get as i've mentioned many times before i get the i'm defending this i mean especially rod stewart i mean yeah so i was talking but yeah. But but I mean to your but you're not wrong. You're like he should, but as we've mentioned too before, like he wrote this what four years after the movie version of High Fidelity, High Fidelity yeah. came out. So he does have this 
and he still has his aura of coolness that's i guess maybe expected of him sure so he feels like he's having to maintain that and excuse me maintain that in some sort of way i feel like in some ways as as i'm thinking out loud now uh a little bit more uh, about this is that he's like i know you all think i'm rob like i'm like i'm the guy who hates katrina and the waves and um pure fucking frampton Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes yeah um and he's like i just want something i can ignore (laughs) yeah but at the same time i think but maybe this is kind of like his way of like snidely being like i'm not that dude yeah Uh, because i bet you he loves katrina and the waves (laughs) i mean who doesn't the like the one song. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows. And. Well, and it's still, I'm, I'm interrupting your point, but it's still wild to me that that band is uh, Kimberly Rue, who was in the Soft Boys with Robin Hitchcock. <laughs> like, he's the really? same guy that played the Fucking lead parts on, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's the same guy that played the lead parts on, like, I Want to Destroy You, and, um, <laughs> you know, some all the, the harder edge psychedelia from that. Um, and then to go and do Katrina and the Waves, I'm pretty sure that he either wrote or definitely co-wrote Walking on Sunshine. Okay. For sure. I had no idea. Yeah. No. There you go. There you go. Like, I can see... It's weird because I can see Belinda Carlisle jumping from, like, the Go-Go's to, like, like all the stuff that she... You know, all the pop shit that she wrote when right. she became a solo artist. Yeah the, yeah, the endemic rolling on the beach kind of stuff. Yeah, but I can't see like that leap from mm-hmm. you know soft voice of robin hitchcock to katrina and the waves yeah well i mean clearly robin hitchcock didn't make that leap um yeah. no he's <laughs> yeah he still has to go out the diving board <laughs> yeah. and I'm, and he can just stay on I, well, yeah i mean obviously <laughs> as you stare at my several robin hitchcock posters um, yeah i i never knew you were a fan yeah, you, you'd never know. <laughs> yeah, um, it, you know it, it. It makes me apprehensive uh, every time that I'm coming to a, an essay about an artist or a song that I like now, because I'm like, okay, well, how is he gonna, you know, feel like he needs to defend this or reduce this, you know, or that? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're gonna next episode we're gonna talk about "Born for Me," which yeah, is one I'm of like- my favorite paul westerberg songs yeah i'm wondering how you're gonna handle this songs yeah but he does um and i guess the connection with him and amy mann is Mm -hmm. uh, or this and amy mann is being that um these are both songs about from female singer songwriters about breakups uh well one being the breakup of a band band, one being the breakup of a relationship and Mm. then also i think there's a a, you know an additional thematic connection of it being you know touring that like does these things and the stress of touring and so forth Mm -hmm. but um then that kind of leads into like the i think was the big point of the essay which he it's one of his meteor essays too i mean he, he yeah this one like took like 20 minutes to read as opposed to the five minutes that most of them take um Mm -hmm. yeah but um like he actually put some thought into this one which is he did he takes this very interesting you know uh tangent sort of he starts out talking about the about you know uh (laughs) heterosexual stereotypes of homosexual life and then 
uh, turns it into a rather thoughtful, um, you know, uh, discourse on what is what is the subject of song. Yeah, like what what is the business of songwriting? What what should what makes good fodder for songwriting? Yeah, what is the or as he asks, but what is the appropriate subject matter for a song? Right, and um. Uh, he, he brings he up several seems, examples. He does, and he seems to really come down on the side of it. The like the most lasting, the longest lasting, most impactful subject of song is love and relationships in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everyone, like as I mentioned before, everyone can relate to the song to the Ani song. Sure, I and I think to a degree, people can relate to uh i've had it yes it's uh, a gorgeous song so I, yeah. I i do agree with his point here of it's an because she's a wonderful songwriter there are hours of me talking about what a great songwriter she is if you go listen to album infinitum yeah um but he i i tend to agree with him a little bit on this one which is i love the melody of the song it's a gorgeous song the lyrics fall a little short of the brilliance of the music you know, because oh, of the pretty, man? yeah, it's yeah. a pretty straightforward. You know, they were on tour and having troubles, and you know, I yeah. decided to break up. Yeah, the, I decided to break up the band. Yep. So, assuming that she's referring to Till Tuesday, I'm also assuming she was referring to Till Tuesday. Yep. Yes, and like when someone like Amy Mann, like I, I was thinking about this on the way here, like. She's someone like a lot of the songs she writes about is about her dealings with the music industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, some are more veiled than others, and I think some are more artful than others as well. Right. Um, but yes, that's she has definitely written about her problems with um, so like with various record labels over the years, and I mean, her songs are I I guess too. I guess what I'm trying to get to the point I'm trying to get to is like she that severely limits your audience. Like whereas Heine DeFranco, I mean, definitely had peak. Mm-hmm. Um and And it was in the nineties. Yeah, in the nineties and early like, aughts. Uh, yeah. Early aughts. Sure. Um and she's saying about uh, I could relate to I, I could relate to it and I was trying to find some way I can relate to I've had, you know, and I, to a degree I can, like there have been times where I've had enough, but at the same time, I'm like going to, like Bachelor number two, I, there are reasons I like Bachelor number two, but none of, and it has to do with the lyrics because it satisfies my like poetic, you know, part of my brain, but on an emotional level, it doesn't. You know, yeah. I'm not listening to Bachelor Number Two, going, "Oh man, I can, I can totally relate to how am I different?" Or, well, see, I feel like I, I can. I think we disagree there. Or oh. I can totally relate to Ghost World because part of me is like the whole thing is like, and I can to a degree, but thinking, all the time, whole time thinking is like, like this is about Enid mm-hmm. in the comic. Yes, um, not. And I guess we're all Enid in some way, but that's the whole. I, I'm too busy thinking about how clever it is that she's 
putting her struggles with the music industry yeah. into song or how she's putting how she feels about this graphic novel and the song but, and mean, not relating to it on like a on an emotional level at all i i find i frequently relate to her stuff emotionally though even if it's not necessarily i don't know that the overt subject matter is not because i mean come on who hasn't felt like finals blue and barely knew my graduation speech you know <laughs> yeah. that's and that's so that's why i went ahead and brought up um the lyrics to i've had it because even in this like the chorus of oh experience is cheap if that's the company you keep and before you know that it's before you know that it's free you've had it um and then the final chorus being experience is cheap if that's the company you keep but i'll never get that disease because i've had it i've had it i guess i've had it (laughs) it's an interesting nuance um yeah you know, to the slight variations of the, of those. Um, I, I just, there, there's, I, I guess there's two different things. Like I'm thinking about here. Like, I think, I, I guess too, is like, I, I'm thinking about maybe like the Beatles to like, what songs do I like the most? Of the Beatles, I like George's because George is singing about something in the way she moves, mm-hmm. or because I don't want to hear about um, John and Yoko eating cake, <laughs> singing Fair in enough. bed all day. Yeah, um, and um, I don't want to listen to a song about animals because it's been done. It's called Mandy by Barry Manilow. <laughs> well, but so I mean, I I, I think that the. This this will be an interesting conversation, I think, because I find a lot of the time that what I enjoy most about an artist's catalog is not necessarily the relationship songs or the romance songs. You know, there's there are some great ones that mm-hmm. I love, but like for instance, Squeeze. One of the reasons that I love Squeeze so much is that there, if you like comb through their albums especially the early run of them mm-hmm. there's nary a relationship song in there really yeah you think? i mean there's there's some that like tempted is kind of about adultery a little bit but mm-hmm. you know adultery on tour actually <laughs> um <laughs> but it's also more about the i mean it's it's about f- feelings of anxiety during travel i mean you mm-hmm. listen to that like the um uh, like the the second verse of uh of um I'm at the car park the airport the baggage carousel um some other line I I'm wishing I was well mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know it's it's the I think it's the anxiety it's also like the toll that the the lifestyle is taking um it's not really a romance song though well no, and, no well no but it's about the it's about guilt sure it's about, um, I there's a lot that song's about. That song's very loaded. Yeah, like it's it's different things for people. Like Mister, I, I read I've read every book on Squeeze that's yes. ever been published. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, like it's about what, what it's about. Well, it's it's actually sort of the the theme of my of the book that I'm writing about them too, though is that oh. um, is that. One of the things that, because it's it's a personal approach, and one of the things that draws me to it is that there's there's not, you know, that 
that there's nary that I am using the word. Apparently, nary is my <laughs> is my word for this this episode. This episode brought to you by nary, <laughs> not nair, nary. <laughs> um, so we'll see it under N in the dictionary, <laughs> right? Yes. Anyway, hardly a love song in the entire catalog. Uh, you know, even even something like "Take Me, I'm Yours." That's not really love. That's like a, oh, that's, that's not a love fantasy. Song. Yeah, uh, but I mean, uh, "Slap and Tickle," I would argue, is a love song on some degree. <laughs> it's a, it's a lust song. Uh, yeah, that's, see, that's the thing. There's a lot of lust songs. Um, well, uh, even even uh, pulling muscles from the shell. I mean, that's 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 a story song that involves certainly an element of lust. A sort of you know, if you really sit there and visualize it, a very graphic version with you know, um, uh, oh yeah, pulling muscles from a shell. <laughs> um, so uh, it's um, yeah. So I mean, the Rolling Stones wrote many a lust song. Yeah. Um, but he's, he seems to be t- specifically pointing at, at examples of, um, it's interesting that he, he, he calls out, he calls out a, a few like, um, uh, complete control and, um, and by the clash and Keith don't go by Nils Lofgren, which I, I have never heard. Actually, it's, I think that's an interesting example. And he calls out, um, Randy Newman too, who's one of my favorites. Um, but you know, and Randy Newman in particular, I, I am, I'm not listening to him for what I, I get. He's I'm another li- person who's, who I'm on this. I'm listening to because of the, of his, cleverness you know and his his way with words and his his you know i don't listen to steely dan Mm -hmm. because um like uh asia is a really you know banging tune um because sure shitting about love Mm -hmm. i'm listening to deacon blues because um i'm not the crimson tide (laughs) sure (laughs) like um I every night I want to die behind the wheel. Um, I'm I'm not listening to Code Charlemagne because I'm listening to Code Charlemagne for hints and how I make meth and mm-hmm. become a millionaire. And how's that going for you? It's uh, and I haven't even started. <laughs> just so if just you're next listening, time, next time you go, he'll be like, "Honey, I have a new plan." <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening, no, I'm not making meth, but that's what the song's fucking about. It's uh, not. It's not even about making. Well, you know, it's about making uh, chemical highs. But yeah, I mean, but no one. I'm not listening to Kanye because. Um, listening to Kanye because it's a train wreck. <laughs> it's just I. I find it. it I. I think it's a very narrow-minded viewpoint, though, that he's taking to say that the best and most enduring songs are about. Uh, relationships basically well I think to his point the one that we're like I mean to his point though the the albums that I don't know what is particularly selling nowadays Mm -hmm. but if we want to go back to that wonderful period we refer to as the 90s Mm -hmm. uh, when like the biggest hits do we do we want to like take a journey to where they're alive in Portland no, um, no, no. So the biggest hits being um, would be Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You." Sure, would be Celine Dion's "My Heart Will Go On." Okay, 
So all right. So I I suppose. I mean, those are what resonate with. If I were in a generous mood, um, I, then I could I could concede that what sells, much like sex, is in, in when you get to. Uh, uh, pop music is is romance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, whether we it's can talk romance about- going bad or romance going great, uh, what 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 does seem to appeal to the masses, uh, the opiate of it, if you will, uh, is 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 that. Yeah, and if we want to use the Beatles and the Stones, I mean, we can talk about what our favorite Beatles song is. But everyone, you know, most people are going to pick Yesterday. Sure, and, are they? Well. Hmm. No, most people are going to reckon. I should say, most people are going to recognize yesterday. Sure. And completely overlook um, all of Abbey Road. Um, or the best song of Abbey Road being something. Which is not a Paul or a John song. Correct. Or yeah. if we want to talk about what everyone's, you know, the stone song that everyone knows, it'll probably be Angie. Yeah. Or. Uh, yeah. I, I believe it's called Angie. <laughs> And die. <laughs> yeah. But you get you get the point. I, I, I get his point. I mean, I, I'm not listening to Roxy Music or Eno because um, Virginia Plains are really, do, you know, a really a great love song. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm listening for the knob turning. and. Well, but I mean, I, I think that if you know, it, it may be pretty basic, but my favorite Roxy Music song is and always will be more than this. Yeah. And the most popular Pierre Gabriel album. I mean, it's not one, two, three, or four. It's, it's so. So, yeah. 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 Because <laughs> it's the one with the love songs. Right. In it. Yeah. So, and Genesis yeah, never and got popular. Wondering. Yeah. And Genesis never got popular until they started writing love songs. And Peter Gabriel left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think Pierre Gabriel knew that Phil, Mike, and Tony were on to something. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he's like, ah, oh, fuck, my old band's doing better than me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to write fucking Sledgehammer. And, yeah. and, uh, talk I'm, about a lust song. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. No. I mean, you think that Shock the Monkey would be the, be the lust song, but it's not, it's not, it's not even about what you think. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, Peter Gabriel talks about sex a lot. Let's just say, especially <laughs> oh, yeah. over, especially over so and us. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because he was uh, he was boning uh, Roseanne Arquette at the time. Ah, so, um, but in Genesis, uh, there's a song, there's a lyric, and um, there's a lyric in "The Lamb Lies on Broadway," the album call, um, and I don't remember the song, but. It's, is chicken is egg is between her legs. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. I mean, there's a whole song about learning sex. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure you know. But mm-hmm. anyway. Um, he, I mean, Gabriel's also responsible for Kiss That Frog. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's talking about his D. <laughs> <laughs> I just broke it. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but <laughs> when it washed over Jason's face, what I just said, <laughs> that was priceless. <laughs> I 
Well done, sir. So, but like, I I guess going back to like what you can write about, like, I mean, I can't, like, does it, does it bother you to some degree that, or do you, should artists be writing about troubles with their label? I mean, everyone, every artist has done that you and I like. Billy Joel from... He did a whole album on it, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. Everyone um, from Billy Joel to... Graham Parker has Mercury Poisoning. Yeah. Um, uh, Wilco well, to... to uh, spoiler alert for one of my... Uh, you know, who my recommendation is going to be coming up at the end of the episode. But uh, Nick Lowe... Uh, famously wrote that he loved his label. Yeah, <laughs> uh, might have been tongue in cheek, but yeah. still, like no one, like no one's ever, unless you were like working for Electra in like the eighties and the early nineties. Yeah, I mean the uh, you want also like the Kinks spent uh, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, tape uh, spools and spools of tape recording songs about how much they hated the recording industry. Yeah, like <laughs> like what. Like, does that, I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't make good fire for a song. Like, I mean, and if you want to talk about, like, like grandstanding, like, Led Zeppelin have, like, taken Tolkien and made it into a, you know, into a 14-minute sure. epic. Yeah. I mean, th- that's, uh, obviously, songwriters and, are going to write about whatever they want. Yeah. And, I mean, Pete Townsend wrote albums and albums about abuse and uh, trauma. Whether it be about him as a pinball playing kid, mm-hmm. or um, there's one he did when he was solo. I'm trying to think of it, but I can't. Like it's the traumatized, abused boy is you know. But that's Pete. Like mm-hmm. Pete is that is the characters he writes about, and he says, "Roger, fucking sing it." <laughs> I yeah. That's that's an interesting thing too. I think is is um, is the songwriter who doesn't speak for themselves. You know, mm-hmm. you talk about like essentially, um, you know, Pete Townsend gets to put words in Roger Daltrey's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Chris Difford puts words in Glenn Tilbrook's mouth, and um, you know, those more. Uh, uh, Tom Waits gets to put music in Rod Stewart's mouth. Well, I mean, I think cover, I think a cover songs. Is, I, I know is I'm, though. I was making a joke. Yes. But, um, but the, um, the, those bands where the structure is that the singer is not the songwriter. I always find mm-hmm. that kind of interesting. Um, yeah. because especially when it's successful, um, that they're able to bring an emotion to something that they, that that didn't necessarily come out of them. I, I suppose the <laughs> sparks. sparks. Uh, yeah, Ron. Uh, you know, uh, putting words. Uh, Russell putting words in Ron's mouth for. Did I get that backwards? No, uh, I got that right. Yeah, yeah. Ron that. puts words in Russell's mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The male brothers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, because we, because we all know that <laughs> that uh, Russell has never had any problems. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, bagging a lady. <laughs> no, I yeah, obvious. The the fact that he that he sings, you know, I wish I looked better. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, yeah, no. There's a certain irony. Idol. Idol. Yeah, there's yeah. Um, uh, man, you know, you know what song I've been hooked on 
lately by them, since you're bringing them up now, um, your fault, uh, is Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I've, I haven't listened to that one in a long time. It's so, so fucking good. I'm I so fucking the, on. Yeah. I'm so like wrapped around. My head's wrapped around the net. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you, I mean, with time uh, having uh, passed, have you watched it again since? No. no, no. no? Yeah. yeah you've just, you haven't decided to spend the, what is it? Two hours and uh, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying like to, that. well, I'm still trying to plow through the Coen brothers uh, for this other podcast I'm doing that you know about. Um, what now? No. <laughs> Betrayal. Judas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm still trying to like, get through that. So almost done with the Bond movies uh, for. I need to at least make sure I watch the, I watch the, the rewatch the Craig films before. Um, I think, yeah. Because apparently it's all culminating. And yeah. They're, they're going to tie it off as it were. Yeah. Um, but. There's there was a point I was going to make too. Oh, I was going to bring Randy Newman back up. Actually, yeah. talking about um, the, oh, Randy Newman putting words into into um, Buzz and uh, Buzz, 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 yeah. Buzz's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a little different. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, like his even as much as I like political science and um, you know a, a lot of the you know the the. Um, this the songs, you know, especially stuff on uh, ah shit. What's the uh, good old boys uh, with like Kingfish and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It's songs like you know, leave your hat on that that <laughs> stick around. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, of, of the Randy Newman songs that I knew, they were like all love songs, whether yeah. they were to L.A. Uh-huh. or <laughs> yes, <laughs> which <laughs> I found it like. I, I I found it funny that that is what they played over and over again at the starting line of the LA marathon that I ran <laughs> thinking like, this is a great song. Like, no, this does not put LA in a good light. My it friends. does not so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's people don't look for the subtext. They're only looking at uh, text and they're not even looking very closely at the text either yeah. because you know if they're if they're using la you know i love la as an anthem or if um or if uh uh shit if if you know people are using born in the usa as as a patriotic anthem as opposed to mm-hmm. you know the or uh i don't know any any john mellencamp song that they think it's you know patriotic or about how great america is when actually it's about how rough most people have it yeah um but i'm sorry i would derail you yet again when did i derail you i don't know i don't even know where the rails are anymore uh, there there were rails we were on them and uh now we're off them okay <laughs> so i what for you what is the more resonant song of the two of oh of the two uh yeah. It's definitely the Ani DeFranco the song. One. Yeah, I, I not that I don't like the Amy Mann song or anything the woman has ever written. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I do like the Amy Mann song. It's not my favorite on that album, but it is a very beautiful song. And with Ani DeFranco, I just have never really gotten into her. It's it's a good song. I, I you know I, I I did enjoy this song, but I don't feel very connected to her work because I just have never gotten never really gotten into because it. you're a white male. It's possible, but. <laughs> I mean, no, you I are a white man. I'm looking right at you. 
It's not possible. It's true, Jared. (laughs) It's possible that that's the reason, but I would like to think it's not the reason is what I'm saying. I think Um, that's been my hindrance. My, My hesitation is that I, being white and male and heterosexual i i don't have a i wasn't sure what the starting point was but i think this could be a good starting point yeah that song i don't know i she, i i i used to know somebody who I, I guess i still know them we're just we don't we haven't talked in a long time but um who fucking loved Ani defranco and um i you know so i don't know i just um for some reason I, that may have been a reason why I never really got into them. Mm. Um, but, you know, it doesn't stop me from, you know, from enjoying other voices that are not my perspective. Oh, right. Because, you know, why? But but I guess I, DeFranco, is so closely identified with a certain... With that audience. Yeah, I suppose. So, I... I think it didn't hit me that Amy Mann has the same audience uh, to a degree until I saw yeah, there's her. There's a lot of crossover. Yeah. Um, because until I went to see her with Squeeze, I'm not saying that to you know. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But until um, <laughs> it doesn't even hurt me anymore. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, until like a very lovely couple um, gave, gave us their tickets mm-hmm. um, to go because they went there just to see Amy. Uh, like any, Amy man concert I've gone to, it's just like, I'm like, Oh shit. Like I didn't hit me. Like I just liked it because uh, I watched Magnolia and I thought it was the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sings Harry Nielsen songs. Pretty dope. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so I, because I is so like, closely identify with the audience i just i i just never saw like a way in and then you hear something like 32 flavors mm-hmm. not covered by her but you know not sung by her but like and you realize oh shit this is not like a franco song like you're like, oh like that's uh mm-hmm. like i like this song and um but i feel like that and this could just be like a good launching point and like just remove all that mm-hmm. stuff away and like all the, all the singer songwriter. Like I remember going to Love Fair and didn't realize that Paula Cole was like closely identified with the audience. I just liked her because Dawson's Creek, man. <laughs> well, no, I liked. Um, I've never liked Paula Cole. Oh, <laughs> I like um, that album a lot, dude. Like I, again, like all these singer songwriters who are female singer songwriters who I love. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize like I didn't realize there was this close association with with their you know the audience that they're strongly associated with until I went to a show. Sure. And I still love them. Like mm-hmm. Tori Amos like all you know these gals and I guess if we're not thinking about maybe that's a thing we need to start thinking about going back to that stereotype. Mm-hmm. Maybe think less about who would identify with the song and just try to figure it out on your own. Well, I, I, yes. And I, I feel like maybe unsuccessfully that that's kind of what I was getting at was that, um, I don't know. I, I've never considered what an audience was before 
listening to something mm. um, or whether or not it was for me. I would just try things and I continue to just try things. Granted, I don't try as much as I used to. I, I um, um, well, you know, you're I, older. I'm, I'm older. Exactly. Um, and it anyway, oh, but I do want to talk about a, this is not a recommendation, but I just started, I just listened to a couple of, uh, oh, that's it. Have you ever heard of Loren? Who? Loren? No. L A R E N. Um Yeah, that's um Anyway, but I I tried I think this was actually um uh I couldn't remember where I saw the recommendation initially, but I believe it was um, in Jeff Tweedy's um, Starship Casual newsletter. Okay. Um, I think he he mentioned her as he had like a whole like stuff I like kind of thing or stuff I'm into right now. And she was on the the list and I just checked out some of the songs by her today. Fucking amazing. But... um, yeah, again, I guess I just don't consider who the audience is really. It's mm. um it's uh, am I connecting with it? And yeah. you know. I think sometimes I get hung up on it. I I obviously since I was what well, well, how old was I when 95? Mm-hmm. I'm like uh 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Cuz I mean music t- to some degree is determined is about what you think is cool. Especially like criticism like mm-hmm. what's cool man yeah um well I, so I, I i did i i did have some hesitation in getting into rap a little bit because i was like you know mm-hmm. I, I i think for that reason because i i, I don't know the beastie boys don't count Jeremy. no they don't but you know <laughs> when when i was listening to um well, I mean, actually, they do count because that's. I know. That's I know. I'm, I'm being, sar- I'm being sarcastic. For, uh, for for nerdy Jewish men by nerdy Jewish men. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's why J.J. Abrams puts like a, a sabotage in every, every movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, when I got into Open Mike Eagle, I'm like, this is just fucking genius. I don't care whether or not it's mm-hmm. it's written for me or, or not. It's just amazing fucking uh, wordsmithery. That's not a word, but yeah. I'm going to make it one. Word smithery. <laughs> yeah, that's that's more, and it's not a point of, it's not all of it is a point of view I can relate to, mm-hmm. you know, because of who I am, and I acknowledge that, but it doesn't mean, like, I can't appreciate and love that, you know, and, and some kids love that point of view. That's why I love Jay-Z so much. It's because he can go from uh, his 99 Problems to mm-hmm. talking about cheating on the greatest woman in the on the planet, uh, Beyonce. Uh, oh, I thought I was like he cheated on Oprah. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, no, Jared. <laughs> Do you want to get into recommendations? Let's wrap this wrap this up. Put yeah, a bow let's, on let's it. put a bow on this real quick. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, you know, it's uh, no. No, it's interesting to me that he was that these were the songs that set him off on his most interesting essay in the book so far. Yeah, I, I well, I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but 
Yeah, I guess it is. It is like, it, but it is kind of surprising. I, maybe because the, who he's covered so far, mm-hmm. your Rod Stewart's and your Bob Dylan's. I mean, it's all been done. It's all been said. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, there are, I'm sure, books on, um, I need a Franco. Uh, I'm not sure. And you would know there's a book on Amy Mann. Yeah, I don't think that there is. Yeah. Oh, she's writing it. Maybe. Who well, knows? She, she should get on that shit. Mm-hmm. She's 60. <laughs> and still smoking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Michael Penn's a lucky fella. Indeed. <laughs> no. uh, for a, a number of reasons. Yeah. And you know what? Amy Mann's a lucky woman. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> anyhow, I don't know what, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, recommendation time. All right, is it me? me sure. first? Yeah, go sure. for it. I'm gonna recommend a podcast this week. Ah, uh. yeah. Um, so this podcast um is called um Gene and Roger. Um, it's about is it hosted by two people named Gene and Roger? No, but it's about two people named Gene and Roger. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. Oh no shit! Yeah, there's a Interesting. whole there's a whole eight episode arc um, on Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. Hmm. Um, it's front through the ringer. It's part of their big picture podcast, okay, um, which is a really interesting podcast in itself. Um, but back in June, um, there um, they did a deep dive into. Um, you know, Gene Sisko and Roger Ebert and how they went from PBS to syndication and their backstory and their... I didn't realize it started on PBS. Uh, sneak previews? Yeah. Yeah, it was a PBS show. Huh. Um, and then uh, it moved from CBS uh, to, to PBS to syndication and then Disney bought it and changed it to Sisko and Ebert. Hmm. Um because it was sneak previews for a while, and then sneak previews went on with um, what was it, Rex Reed and uh, Michael Medved, mm. which I didn't realize. Um, but anyway, it's how it it just goes on to just talk about how how much they hate each other, how much they grew to love each other, mm-hmm. or at least respect each other. Um, how much they deeply love movies mm-hmm. um, to the point where um, Siskel bought a auctioned costume of John Travolta's jumpsuit from <laughs> Saturday Night Fever <laughs> outbid Jane fucking Fonda. Wow. For it. Wow. Um, and um, Roger making his wife Chaz watch 2001 over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, and just kind of like what they and how it traces how very well, actually, how other shows like Crossfire, like and other things just influenced them, like were influenced by uh, Cisco and Ebert, whether it's your sports debate shows mm-hmm. or your political debate shows or whatever it's all you can trace it back to gene roger um and um it goes on to i and if you're 
you know, there like there's been a book and a movie about Roger, and there's like jack shit on Gene. Mm-hmm. There's at least a little more background on who Gene Siskel was uh, in this because Gene was apparently a very private person, and mm-hmm. they interview his wife on several occasions, and you realize like he's this majorly competitive dude. No kidding. Like, um, that's why one of the reasons why he hated Roger so much right huh. in the beginning. I guess um, uh, he had a press credential for the Bulls because he was a big Michael Jordan fan. Okay. And I guess someone at the paper took his credentials because they thought, what does Gene Siskel need to be a fucking. Because <laughs> he's the movie guy. To? Yeah. Because he's the movie guy. Well, <laughs> he took him and then Siskel called him and, like, don't you ever fucking take <laughs> in front of his kids wow <laughs> don't you ever fucking take my president you know my my press credential again like don't take my fucking c again huh like wow <laughs> fucking like, crazy yeah and i i mean there's other things like apparently gene almost lost his job um with the um sun times uh yeah because roger was the tribune guy wasn't he i don't know it doesn't matter like gene almost lost his newspaper job it's just a lot of really cool stuff and just stuff I didn't, you know, you didn't realize. So if you're listening and you, you know, after you're done here, um, the 50 of you who listen, um, <laughs> and you want to listen to something else, um, Gene, uh, Gene Rogers, my recommendation this week. Uh, cool. I, I binged it. Like how many did you say? Eight episodes? There are eight, ep- eight half hour episodes. I listened to it in the afternoon during uh, work. I do like a mini series. Cool. Uh, all right. And what is it called again? Gene and Roger. Gene and Roger. It's a ringer podcast. Yep. Uh, all right. My, my recommendation for the week is an oldie. Um, I thought about a couple of different things. Um, but uh, after, after reading this article that popped up in my feed, um, it's, just, it's, it's a pretty short article um, on... Uh, salon.com um, reading through this I was like you know what this put it in in an interesting context and now I want to recommend it so uh, my recommendation for the week is The Convincer by Nick Lowe um, it was just reissued who wrote the article uh, was it Andy Zelensky uh, no uh, Kenneth Womack okay uh, so the Convincer just got a 20th anniversary reissue yeah, um, on blue vinyl from <laughs> Yep Rock with the, uh, with the, with the, with the three song, uh, 45 that comes with it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, it is one of his best albums of that era. Um, wh- what's interesting to me though, is I, of those, I can, I, you know, I'm not the only one, but it's considered sort of a trilogy with the, um, with the impossible bird, dig my mood and the convincer being the last of the three. Um, my favorite is actually the impossible bird. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, I know why, but I mean, other than the one song, but I mean, the, uh, the impossible bird. Yeah. Uh, love is a battlefield. Sure. I mean, like, I mean, I, I could debate you. We could debate what's better. The oh, convincer. not love is a battlefield. That's the Pat Benatar song, isn't it? Um, yeah. I live on a battlefield. battlefield. Um, and we could debate this all day, but it's not going to convince you that I'm not going to be able to convince you that the convincer is the of the best of the trilogy. 
But I mean, go ahead. I, you can't go wrong with any of any of the three of those, which is it's true. But um, other than the other than the song he wrote for Johnny, uh, the Beast and Me, yeah. yeah. Which is on Impossible Bird. Uh, well, I mean, uh, true love travels on a gravel road. Come on. But just continue. Anyway, you, okay. You have something I'm not to recommending say. the Impossible Bird. I'm recommending the Convincer. So. Right. You're recommending the best of the trilogy. So Jesus please, Christ. go ahead. All right. Anyhow, uh, so in this, this brief article um, on it, so did you know that it was actually released September 11th? Yeah, 2001. Yeah. I had no idea. I knew uh, Dylan's Love and Theft was released that day. There's um, a Ben Folds album there released was, that day too. Yeah, so it's interesting the the light that you know and that um, the the so I mean this the, just to read the intro paragraph the um, the the last sentence when it originally. So, um, when it originally entered the soundscape, the critically acclaimed LP had everything going for it, but timing. The convincer dropped on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. Um, the original release may have been overshadowed by international tragedy, but for Lowe, the convincer has aged particularly well. That's saying a lot for the musician who has proven time and again to be his own worst critic. As he told me in a recent conversation, I really don't think I'm much good at all because it's, always, because it's all always in the ear of the beholder. <laughs> Um, but he considers the convincer to be his favorite record of his. Um, he says, I'm always disappointed with what I do. It's never good enough. And I judge each record I've made on the degree to which it has failed. That's, if that's not British, I mean, yeah, that's hyper fucking British. Um, and so he says, by that standard, the convincer succeeds because, to his mind, it's not bad, which makes it the best record I've ever made. And I've heard him say this before, but he talks about... Is Nick Lowe Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> per- perhaps that is why I identify so heavily with Nick Lowe. Um, well, if he's not, he's an honorary Jew. Um, and So, but he... Um, and it's it's brought up again here, um, and I'll just quote it. But he's ta- he's ta- he's said the same thing in many places before. Um, he says that's when I like my stuff when I feel like it's something that somebody else has written and that I've been that I've had nothing to do with it. Um, he feels like you know he if he can hear a song and it it doesn't sound obvious to him that he's relying on his, you know, tricks and, and like, you know, uh, things that he, he relies on in his song craft. Then he feels like it's successful because he apparently is, is a self-loathing Brit. Have you, um, have you by chance listened to, uh, not listened, but he did an interview with stereo gum. Uh, have you by chance read it? It no, was just, like last what? week. Uh, no, then I haven't. Okay. Then I for sure um, so Serial Gum, in addition to telling you, reminding you what the anniversary of anything is. Yeah. If anything is. Yeah. They um, did a, they have a feature called We've Got a File on You, where they mm-hmm. just kind of do like go through everything that said musician has done. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want Nick Lowe. And they talk about him, his producing partnership with, uh, Costello, Elvis Costello for a mm-hmm. while. Um, and they talk about how he, how they, of course he turned what's so funny about peace, love and understanding from like a hippie tune to like an anthem. Yeah. And he, 
how he has such admiration for what um, Elvis did to it. Mm. Um, like he said, I didn't tell him to do that. He did that all on his own, and he turned that tune into like something into his. Like there is like as you said, like there is like I didn't pick up on it until you mentioned it. Like oh god, he, he yeah <laughs> he hit. He, he hates everything he's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because you know, I, I, I think he sort of had... Um, well, I think that there's actually a box set out there called um, Nick Lowe, The Wilderness Years, and it's, it's his 80s output, which, mm. you know, it seems like he was very much um, trying to figure out who he was as an artist at that point because... Um, it was the eighties and it's like, you know, yeah. he, he's, he's, uh, he long been like a, a pub rocker and a rockabilly guy. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess he's going to be the country guy. Is he going to be Nick the knife? Yeah, exactly. Be- yeah. Yeah. And all the while just like, just barely managing to escape, um, eighties production sound, you know, um, he was very, he got very close. He, he got did. very close to being, what, what? Was it he produced Huey Lewis or Huey Lewis? Huey Lewis him? produced uh, yeah. at least one track. Um, yeah. I, I knew the bride when she used to rock and roll. Yeah, that's yeah. that's got Huey Lewis written all over it. Oh yeah, yeah. There's like some gated <laughs> drum on there and yeah. um, harmonica, even I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Which I like that tune, but it's uh, yeah. Still, how can uh, you not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway. I, I highly recommend it. If you have not gotten into Nick Lowe at any point, certainly those three albums are my favorite place to begin. Uh, and if you're going to start with one... Might as well get The Convincer because Nick Lowe thinks it's the best. Yeah. And so, and so does Jason. Jason. <laughs> I think it's the second best of that trilogy. And, I mean, Jared's wrong, but it's... Okay, whatever. Each of those albums ha- has songs that, that could make a contender for best, I think. Um, Dig My Moods got Failed Christian. I mean, yeah. Come on. Um, I mean, they're all, like, good, but, like, uh, there's just something about the convincer man that's just... The way he... The covers he does are just exquisite. Well, um, I mean, and all of them sound like they could have been covers, but they're only on the album proper, not including the the 45. There are only two covers, and right. everything else is a low original, and it sounds, again, it sounds like they, they could be well, standard tracks. Yeah, yeah, it's the thing is, like, it, that first... Like only, uh, only. Well, it's, let's let's you know uh, we've given a lot of love to that album, but let's just say I wanted to beat you, along, damn it. Along with my pride, <laughs> lately I've let things slide. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I should I'll add on to your thing. Um, I'll um, I'll add that the untouched takeaway live album, mm-hmm. which is the tour on the convincer yeah. with drink Watkins. And uh, yep. uh, I would recommend that as a live album. And that's the when it would be nice if they would reissue that too. Cause I think the only way you can get it right now is digitally. Yeah. Which, um, that is when I first saw Nick Lowe was on that tour and, nice. um, he, he took my Sharpie, but that's, <laughs> you know what? That's the price you pay. That's the price. Of, I, it's okay. I got, a rock pile seems to be autographed <laughs> by him, so I could give two shits now. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. I think that's going to do it. Again, please remember to rate, review, rescribe. Sure, rescribe. If you've already scribed, rescribe. Uh, subscribe. 
and uh, uh, yeah. That, and support our sponsors and uh <laughs> right yeah but the the word um nary and uh what was the other one uh <laughs> the word nary and uh i believe it was i'm uh young attractive sad oh and horny yeah. by sally rooney okay I, which was very funny but <laughs> I, I, I've, I've read one of sally rooney's books and it was very good so i'm actually interested in reading as, the new as one. if I, yeah. I i read the sad depressing one <laughs> <laughs> where, where never has sex sounded so unappealing in my whole life <laughs> well <laughs> anyhow but uh and uh don't forget our other sponsor uh our other um sponsor um i'm drunk by um uh, um you just lost it. I know. <laughs> by anybody. <laughs> um, by Charles Bukowski. I'm oh. drunk. The, the unreleased poems. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Way to stick the landing. Uh, all right, Planet Peeps. Keep it mental. Mental Platypus is a production of Hoot and Waddle, producing fine arts and culture podcasts and publishing works of experimental literature since 2016. To learn more about Hoot and Waddle, please visit hootandwaddle.com. To learn how you can help support and sustain Hoot and Waddle, please visit patreon.com forward slash hootandwaddle. <laughs>